old, and I didn't do my notes on this. And you, know, you did. You did. You were just looking at some unreliable researchers. You just go by your own knowledge. You'd be just perfect. I didn't know, so it wouldn't have made a difference. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's see, you're so important. You've got this dictionary in your head. You're, are you Britannica or Funk and Wagnall? Oh, I have no. I've never even heard of the second one. Oh well, in that case, you can be Britannica. Ah. Uh. Okay, so it is Fibber inherits a yacht. Walden says it's 1939. I believe him because that's the way the show came up. It's March 28, 1939, and there are two things that are unusual about this show. Please call us at the end of the show and let us know what they are. Here we go.
Well? Yes, I am. I'm Mr. Ogden Fiditch of Fiditch, 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 Fiditch. money-saving sale on giant-sized cans of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. You thrifty housewives won't want to miss this opportunity to buy several cans of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Glow Coat while you can get one-third more for your money. Now, this special offer is necessarily limited, so act at once. Tell your dealer you want the special giant-sized cans of both Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. These big cans contain a pound and one-third, or a pint and one-third. You pay only for one pound or one pint. The one-third extra is free. Hardware, grocery, paint, drug, and department stores are featuring these giant pints and pounds of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. Now, we don't want you to be disappointed, so buy several cans tomorrow without fail while you can still get them. somebody who want to win a prize. And, and pick me, pick me, I have something. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. All right, Patricia, it's you. I have, I have a map, and I'm putting dots on my map. Hey! Well, um, you have to help me, and right. people have to help us fill in the blanks here. Um, we've got New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Tennessee, Florida, Illinois, Texas, Kansas, Colorado, Nevada, California, and Hawaii, and Canada. What did I miss? 
Washington. No, actually, have we gotten a call from Washington yet? Yes, uh, we did. Sure. Um, Brian and his I think Brian. Yeah. Um, Arizona with Lynn. Have you talk, have you mentioned Arizona? Thank you very much. Sorry, Lynn. Uh, New Mexico. Uh, have you mentioned Texas? I think you have. I did. Can a bunch of people in Texas. Leonard calls us, and Delana called us yeah. yesterday. Kansas and Iowa. Iowa. I remember, what? I think that's one of our prizes. Um, uh, yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. Alabama with David. Yeah. Oh goodness. I'm so sorry, David. Yes. Look, Mark, Mark from Louisiana. Got it. Oh, uh, we got dots all over the place. Yeah. Ray from Illinois, of course. Um. Do 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 do. Do Uh, you got Vermont with Fred. Yep. Okay. Do, 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 oh, we have do, lots of blank spaces do, here, do, folks. Do, do. Montana and Oregon. Yes. Somebody from Oregon has to call me and tell me how to pronounce Oregon correctly. She says it was a New York accent, so help her out. Please. Help Patricia out. Please. And, and help me with geography. I put a dot in the wrong state. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, it's it, uh, Oregon on the west coast, Patricia. Uh-huh. It's above California, <laughs> below Washington. I made a dot in Missouri instead of Louisiana. Ah, uh, okay. As people say. So maybe somebody from Missouri can give us a call and make my spot better. Make your spot better. Yeah. We need help. We need to fill in Patricia's map. Oh, yeah, this is really good. See, yeah. I told you I was going to get a map. I know. A map. And I've got pink dots. It's actually pink dots all over the place. Um, very dark, rich pink. Not, not polka dot? But yeah, I'm making polka dots on the map. So polka every dot. time somebody calls from a particular state, I'll put another dot in there. Oh, the itchy, bitty, teeny, weeny polka dotty? Yeah, but not the bikini. Oh, okay. <laughs> 714... <laughs> Five four five two zero seven one. Our number seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Are there any states that want to be represented on Patricia's map? I have lots of blank spaces I here. Know. I think we've heard from about thirteen or so states. Be my guess, without counting them up. Seventeen plus Canada and Hawaii, hey. so that would be eighteen and Canada. Plus Canada, so we're, we're, good. so we we got thirty-two to go. Can we get all thirty-two oh. in before the end of the year? That would be fun. And especially if I missed somebody, because we we've, we've got Nevada and Colorado in mm -hmm. there. I am, uh, can't remember who's in Colorado, but that's okay. We had. We had one caller a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, okay, from good. Colorado, because I remember saying my brother was in Colorado. Ah, good. Um, and oh, Tom is in Kansas, of course. Yes. You know, Chad, if you recall, we could count Nebraska. That's right. Yeah. Chad, are you listening? Yeah. All I have to do is... Just say hi, and hi. Nebraska would qualify, you know. And we could make a dot in Nebraska. That's right. You know, 714... Five four five two zero seven one is our number. Seven one four five four five 
2071. I had more Christmas lights uh, shows for your list. Do you? Before I get to trivia, let's have the Christmas light show. Wait a minute, wrong pen. Can't write in pink. <laughs> well, I got, I got thinking, you know, the, probably the most famous one. How about It's a Wonderful Life with the last scene with the, around the Christmas tree? Yes. So we could do Lux from. Uh, do, 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 do what that date? Is it March? 1947, I think it's March 17th. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day. March 17th, 1947. It was a peculiar time of the year. Mm-hmm. I do remember that, that it was March that this show uh, was actually recorded. I, was it? Did it play on March? Yeah, uh, it, well, it was broadcast in March. It was, I guess when it first released, it wasn't think, thought of as a Christmas program, a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think it was released, but it really wasn't thought of until the reruns of the 70s in television. Yeah. There were a couple that were at screwy times. The two Damon Runyon shows I like so much, the Palm Beach Santa and what is the other one that I really, really like. Neither one of them have Christmas trees in them, though. Yeah. yeah. And they were both March shows, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Let's see. Damon Runyon, Damon <laughs> Runyon, where are you? Where are you? Seven one four five four five. 2071 is our number, and you just heard of Fibber, Miggy, and Molly. If you can tell us what was unusual about that show, you'd be eligible for a prize if you want it. 714-545-2071. Okay, we've got Dancing Dan's Christmas, mm-hmm. the Damon Runyon Theater from March 13th, 1949, and that was an honest-to-goodness Christmas show. And it played in March. And the second one is Palm Beach Santa Claus. That's one of my favorites as well. And that was May 29th, 1951. So one of them was in March. One of them was in May. And they were both ever so much. There was no question. They were Christmas shows. However. Yes? I have to say, however, it was John Brown giving his rendition his his uh, he was the narrator yeah he was so broad, he was broadway mm-hmm. pardon he was broadway that was the name of his character we call broadway his name was broadway mm-hmm. okay so it was john brown and but because he was doing the introduction and the storytelling i suppose they could have gotten away with saying well this is a christmas story and we're just telling it to you yep. in may although it really they really were christmas stories but I don't recall that there's a tree in either one of them. Can you tell me, people, who, uh, Damon Runyon Theater and Box 13, what... Oh, dear. <laughs> what is interesting about both shows? Who owns the production company of both Box 13 and Damon Runyon Theater? The same person. I wouldn't have a clue. Yes, you would. But there's some, well, if you tell me the name, I'll say, boy, I recognize that name, but yeah. I wouldn't have any idea that they that person owned one show, never mind two. Yep. A famous movie star. A famous movie star? Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me Dick Powell owned his own show? Uh, somebody of that stature. Oh, okay. He, yeah. Well, who's the shoe with the star of Box 13? It was, um... <laughs> Dan, what's his face? Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, the, that was the character actor. Character, yeah. Dan, oh, dear me. 
Don't tell me. That's okay. 714-545-2071. You can help Patricia. Who was the star of Box 13? Dan Halliday was the... Was the uh, Dan ha- Good, Dan Patricia. <gasps> Good. Who was who who Dan Halliday? See, isn't, isn't this wonderful? I can give you all sorts of answers, except that's not what you asked. Well, that's okay. I like it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Halfway there. Yeah, you're good. And I can't even remember who, 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 who. It was Mayflower Production and was owned both by Alan Ladd. No joshing, really? Yes. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, he was real, he was virtually a radio actor who got discovered for the movies. Uh, he married his agent, Susan Carroll. And then they came up with the Mayflower Production. It was owned by Alan Ladd and those were the two shows they produced. How about that? Yeah. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Our number, and we got Patricia Potluck. We got Patricia's map. We got we Patricia's stymied. Yeah. We've got Patricia saying, "Oh, please help me with some answers here." And your favorite Christmas tree show. That's right. Also, I would put down uh, screen director's playhouse. Uh, December 7th, 1949. There's sort of a Christmas theme in that. Christmas tree. Scene in that one. What kind of a, a scene? Um, it's during, I'm trying to name it the show, it's Cary Grant, and they talk, and they're going to this hotel, and they, they talk about the Christmas tree, and, you know, um, the, the couple, Irene Dunn and Cary Grant, are, you know, thinking about getting a divorce, but they, uh, but he doesn't want to really divorce. And she told him, we, we'll make up our mind during Christmas. And here, they, he took the whole family up on a vacation, we're going to leave him behind. And he didn't really want to leave his wife and kids behind. Oh, so what the, a nice story. Yeah, so you, he, uh, was down by the Christmas tree, so he kidnapped the Santa outfit and went upstairs. Mm-hmm. He did a Christmas time. <coughs> so. There's, um, there's a, uh, is there a Christmas tree in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Oh, I can't think of any at oh. the moment. Wow. Yeah. Well, it probably could lose. You know, with Santa and the chair generally always near a Christmas tree. Yeah. Well, because she didn't believe in Christmas. I know. She did. But Christopher Kringle did. <sighs> yeah, he had everything. Yeah. Well, yes, he did believe in Santa Claus. Yeah, that's right. This is true. Convinced the jury and everything. I know. <laughs> it was Chris Pringle. I know. <laughs> that was a great little story. Oh, yeah. Great little story. Yeah, Marino here, by the way. Everybody's still alive. Um, I was trying to get her for the show. She now lives in, in her home country in Ireland. That's right. Yeah. I remember. See, when you tell me these things, I can say, oh, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I couldn't conjure them if you held my feet to the fire. Well, that's why we're a good team. You and I work so well together, you know. I can say, I don't know, and Walden can say, yes, I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Okay, Wild Bill Hickok's sidekick was Jingles. What was Jingles' last name? Now, you folks can Google all of this Mm -hmm. and then give us a call. Mm -hmm. And I need to know the name of Connie Brooks High School. Where did our Miss Brooks teach? We also need to know which little critter Tripper, Binky, and Molly adopted and brought into their home in a 1954 
series um, episode. That was one of the 15-minute episodes. And what else am I asking for here? We were asking asking for um, probably Burma shave. Burma shave, yeah. So many many things spread out here. I think that was all we're asking for right now, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And we did ask for the name of Sergeant Preston's dog. Woof, woof. Yes, woof, woof. Got a whole bunch of others as well. Oh, here's a good one. Did anyone, did anyone stay with us last night? It was late, but did anyone stay with us and find out how the McGee's got their home at 79 Wistful Vista? 714-545-2071. What did the McGee's do to win their house at 79 Wistful Vista? Wistful Vista. What a great name. Isn't that great? Great name and for itself. Claire Schultz, mm-hmm. Mr. Schultz. Our guest last night has Wistful Vista in his email address. I'm certainly not going to give you his email address, but um, I, I just thought that was so cool that he has Wistful Vista in his in his address. I guess, really I guess if we ever come up with another Hotmail account, we can all just set you use a version of 79 Wistful Vista. Yeah, or Teeny or something. Or Teeny or something, yeah. <laughs> or say, yeah. Mr. McGee. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for some more Burma shaves? Sure. All right. Uh, I have to make sure that they're okay because, you know, this is interesting, too. The terminology and the words used in the 40s and 50s especially have very different meanings today. Right. And Frank and I, and, and you hopped in, too, I called in one Friday night and was talking with Frank about this, uh, the, the words that we hear in some of the shows, if we had them today, you know, if we played them today, people would say, ruh <laughs> We shouldn't have had that one in there. So let's see here. Okay. If Caruso kept his chin more tidy, he might have found a lady Friday. Burma shave. Mm, okay. You want to read that one one more time? Sure. Robinson Crusoe. He's talking about Robinson Crusoe and his man Friday. So if Crusoe had kept his chin more tidy, he might have found a lady Friday. Oh, okay, now I got it. Okay, that's good. Burma shave. That's good. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, here's here's um. Oh, this might be a, a safety one. They they went eventually. They moved more and more toward putting up safety signs, reminders. Da, 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 da. Um, I'll read a couple of more. I've got S marked next to safety here. Let's see. Around the curve, lickety split. It's a beautiful car, wasn't it? Ooh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. I just love these. Yeah. And these two guys just sat down and apparently wrote them all themselves. Any, if anything, okay. Uh, if anything will please your Jill, a little Jack for this jar will. <laughs> if somebody has an interpretation on that one, that would be great. If anything will please your Jill, a little jack for this jar will. Burma shave. That doesn't make any sense. Well, Jill, I guess be you, if you have a gal named Jill, right. jack could be money, a term for money, to buy this jar. Burma shave didn't come in a jar. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah, so that's one way to interpret that. 
No, it didn't. Vermishave was a brushless shaving cream. Okay. So, so where did they come in? I do not know. Okay. Does anybody can please help us? A brushless shaving cream. You know, this is the problem when you have two kids that uh, just turn loose on a radio station. Uh-huh. You know, we just don't know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're just too young. I'm really sorry. <laughs> We're just part of the younger generation, you know? You know? That's funny. Mom, we, I really didn't mean this. Yeah, we're, we're part of the younger generation. Mom, Dad, can you help us out? Grandma, Grandpa, help, help, help. Yeah. Okay. 714-545-207. Where did Burmachay come in? Did it come in a jar? Did it come in a can? I don't think it came in the mail, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the store, but I do not know how... I mean, it, eventually we had aerosol cans, but that wasn't that wasn't um, until when did aerosol cans come in? Um, seventies maybe. I don't know. Somebody who knows when aerosol <laughs> cans came in, would you please give us a call? Um, I crossed one off that I can't say today. That was very okay twenty fifty years ago. No, 60 years ago. No, 70 years ago. <laughs> before we were even born. Okay. Way before we were born. Okay. And it was a very okay thing to say then, but it is not an okay thing to say today. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, if anyone wants it privately sent to them, I will type it out and send it to you, but I'm not. Somebody's going to rescue us. Hello there. You are Patricia. It's, it's Ralph again. Hi, Ralph. Hey, folks. Yeah, Burma Shave came in a, in a jar for uh, 85 cents, came in a smaller jar for 50 cents, and it came in a tube for 25 cents. So in the, what did you do? You stuck your fingers in the jar and lathered up your face? Yeah, you just rubbed it on. Oh, it was... Uh, it, was it gooey? It was smooth, but, you know, it wasn't foamy like a brush would do you. Yeah. It was a, a cream. So, at, oh, I get it. Okay. How long, a uh, jar was 85 cents, you said? I think so, yes. How many shaves would you get out of an 85 cent? Uh, I really never used Burma shave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, did your dad use it? Did somebody else? Uh, yeah, he did. Your dad used it. Um, okay, so now we need a phone call from somebody who knows how many shaves. Somebody got out of a jar of bird. I, I, I think, not know it came in jars. I think the big jar was a pound, and wow. the small jar was a half a pound, and then there was a... Wow. How many ounces? That's a big jar. Uh, I, I had it on the computer earlier, but I turned the darn thing off. Oh, Ralph, you know <laughs> that. <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay. You Were you listening to the Fibber McGee and Molly show? I, I was in the shower. I missed most of it. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I was in the shower, or gosh, I was out in the kitchen and I missed it. All right. There's something different about that Fibber show. Well, uh, I heard the beginning of it. The only thing I noticed was that Molly wasn't in it. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. It was Fibber McGee and Company. It was not Fibber McGee and Molly. And Molly was not in the show. Yep. 
See, you did do it. Yeah. Notice that at first. Yeah. Oh, you know, in uh, Burma Shave, one of their slogans? Uh-huh. Ma likes the cream. Mom, Ma likes the jar. They both like the price, so there you are. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, did you remember that one, or, or did you find that? I remember that one, yeah. I beg your pardon? I did remember that one, yeah. You did remember that one. Wow-wee. I, I don't know. They had a great one from 1942, which referred to our enemies in the war. Oh. Recall all the wording, but... Uh, they wanted Hitler and Hirohito to look so as bad as Benito. That's after the Indians <laughs> had surrendered. Isn't that great? They were topical. They were topical. Here's one. Five-star generals, privates, first class, show equal rank in the looking glass. <laughs> so we did pay attention to topical items. I, I would have probably picked it up along the way, but I didn't know that. As I recall, they covered a very wide range of subjects. It looks like it. I don't think they ever touched on religion, but uh, I think there was a little politics in there from time to time. Amazing. Yep, here it is. Spring has sprung, the grasses is where last year's careless driver is. Brumache. Got one for you from New York. Okay. See if I can say it right. The spring... Is sprung, the grass is gris. I wonder where the birdies is. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I can hear New York in that. That is good. I try to put it back a little more than usual. Oh, you, you, you did fine. You done good. You done good. Oh, okay. I know he's a wolf, said Riding Hood, but Grandma, dear, he smells so good. Burmachade. Oh, that's, yep, that's a good one. Yeah, these are so. Let's, uh, da, 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 um, okay. Um, let's see. We have a safety one here. Cautious rider to her reckless deer. Let's have less bull and lots more steer. I think I read that one last week. I didn't check. Um, uh, you know, on, on the, uh, excuse me, uh, Patricia, on the internet, they have a website that covers all all the slogans that they ever had by the year that they were presented. Um, Leonard, our buddy in the chat room and with Yesterday USA, sent me, I believe it was that site. It's got the years noted on it. It's a burmashave.org site. It's got the years noted on it. And I've been clicking on them, and they are just so much fun. Yeah, they had one from, I think the first one on the website is, from 1928, and it's one of the few ones that had six spines. Ah, how many were, was it? Well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. This one's six. One, two, three, four, five, six. But, um, I think it was six plus the Burma shave. Oh, oh, nope, these are six total. One, two. I'm pretty sure. He said, I don't have anything that good. All right, your assignment is to go and find them, Ralph. <laughs> when you turn on your computer tomorrow, check them out and give us a count on what you find up there. All right. Okay, well, thank you for... I had, uh, I had to call in about that one. Well, I'm really glad you did, because I truly did not know. I have no idea what, what how this 
stuff was packaged. But a pound jar, my goodness. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll look it up tomorrow. There's, there's a set of signs. Okay. That relates to the volume uh, that was in the jars and the tube. Oh. And if you can find out how many shaves men typically... Oh, I, I, I guess it... Well, it's, I guess it's related to the toughness of your beard or how big your head is, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but, you know, I, uh, I've always been blessed with a very soft beard. So it doesn't take a whole lot of work, as it would for somebody who's... I, know, I used to know guys that had to shave twice a day, and I can shave every second day. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I don't know how many shaves. But. Okay, well, that's your assignment for next week. See, I get to give homework this week. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd look it up now, but I, <laughs> I don't have my glasses. I left them downstairs. Oh, well, that's okay. So if you can look it up this week, how many shaves somebody would get, average, of course, hmm. of a jar of Vermishave, how much was in it, and how how often before you got to the bottom of it. I'll try. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. Thank Have you, Ralph. Have a good night. Go back to bed. Good night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good night, Ralph. <laughs> we have disrupted our entire country. I know. Gotten people out of bed. We've kept people up. Leonard hasn't had a good night's sleep in three nights. I know. 714-545-207. Well, that's what happened when a kid come out and play. We stay up. We stay up and play. We and stay we up. just disrupt the entire world. I know. We're here until 4 o'clock yesterday, and or this morning, actually. Yep. No, for you it was this morning. For I me know. it was yesterday morning. And, uh, gosh, we had a good time. And I think we're going we'll, to uh, continue that conversation a little bit now. Okay. Let's talk about Fibber McGee and company. Uh-huh. Please do. Yes. Yes. Uh, Molly McGee, a million join, was not on the show for about roughly an 18-month period. Um, this would have been about until in 1937. I'm not quite sure. Maybe uh, Buddy Claire figured out the date. And then she came back uh, April 18, 1939. And it was an illness um, that happened to uh, Marion. Um Frank Brzee told me that Jim Jordan told her that it was a, uh, she has heromatic, what's the word, heart? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. Rheumatic heart problem, the right. rheumatic fever? Right. Okay. And. With a rheumatic heart, yeah. Right, and that probably was explain why, from when she came back to the show, she never stood at the mic. That's why she sat down at the table and worked the show from her own little table with her microphone from that point on. Uh, I know an interview that Jim Jordan gave and uh, back in the 70s, he alluded to uh, Marion having heart condition in 1953. You notice during the, I think it was 53, she was out for over a month or so. And I think he alluded to that interview that she had some heart trouble at that time. And that's probably part of the reason why they thought the one the film again Molly the thirty minute show shows were done, that was gonna be it for their career. But a clear show pointed out that's why they came back with the deal for the fifteen minute show and they continued. But 
um, it was a dramatic change. You know, Jim had to come up with uh, here his lifetime mate was ill. He had to carry the show. He and Don Quinn had to come up with characters to carry the ball. Uh, if you notice at the time, in the show that we just played, it's a good example of it, uh, how Perry hasn't even developed the character of Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve yet. He's there as a character actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recognize Frank but Nelson. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm no, that's okay. You jump in whenever you can. I'm just letting my mind wander here. Um, you heard of my, the gentleman I met, Frank Nelson, who best known for Yes on the Jack Benny show. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great character. Yeah, he he there once on the uh, the yacht supply when Harlow Wilcox in the store. Um, of course, you know, Isabel Randolph and Mrs. Uppington is still there. Um, good thing for Bill Thompson. I mean, he was pulling all the characters out to cover from the old-timer and everything. Uh, so they had to come up with ways. Zazu Pitts, one of the great names, Zazu Pitts, would play a lot of female roles um, during that period for the show. So I was always and still am impressed with the script writing that Don Quinn did. Unless you are so sensitive to Fibber McGee and Molly or you just made casual drop in and say, I'll listen to one of these, there are times you wouldn't even miss the fact that Molly wasn't there. The scripts were so good and so seamless that they got away with putting on, I say got away with, they put on a quality show and had this terrible, terrible um, challenge to deal with, and they did it. It was fabulous. I haven't, I, I got a whole bunch of the early, and you probably already listened to the one, I have a, now a bunch of the 1938 shows. Huh? And I haven't heard, and I, I, I think those are characters that you have listened to that I haven't sound, down, showed, uh, Bill Watkins or something, I was, when I was going through looking for a date, I noticed the character. I guess, you know, they were trying new characters out to, to help Fibber keep that show going, uh-huh. you know? I do not have, let me see, I've got 37. Nope, I've only got um, four or five, maybe six from 1938. Yeah, that's more than, that's more than what we used to have. We, all we used to have just one. One, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six. I have six yeah. from 1938. I'll have to go out. There are a couple of places I have seen Fibber McGee and Molly shows. I'll have to go out and see if they've posted any additional ones for dates that I do not have, because my files are a couple of years old on the fibber. I know. Well, here, let's, let's, hold, let's hear the opening when Marion came back. So here we oh, go. Please, a- yes, a- thank April, you. April 18, 1939. The Johnson Wax Program. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, thank you, everybody. My, my, it's nice to be back. (laughs) 
Well, it's nice to have you back, Molly. Well, what are you waiting for, Mr. Wilcox? I want to go to work. <laughs> all right, Molly. We also have Donald Novus, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Fine and Dandy. And there we go. That's how Marion came back. That was so neat. I just love listening to that show. Just the beginning. I mean, the show is good. She does a budget, and poor Fibber gets all flustered again. But the welcome back was so sincere from the audience and with uh, Harlow Wilcox saying, and with Molly and Fibber McGee. Yeah, and you know, she still got a bit of an Irish brogue in there. She threw in the Irish brogue in that show, and it had not been noticeable for the, I say noticeable, it was not pronounced as it was in this particular show. And I wondered at that particular show, whether it was something that emerged when she was nervous or it was a, a particularly tight situation for them on on the stage at the, in the studio, because it didn't happen very often. If you listen to the next one, it's not there, not like that. Now, I wonder if they did that on purpose, though. I think she did. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. When, when I say on purpose, I think she knows she did it, but it was one of those things as a stress reaction, you know, when mm. you blink your eyes or mm-hmm. twist your nose or, yeah. to, or do something that is characteristic of you as an individual. I think this was characteristic of her when she got nervous or there was a high-pressure situation that she would slip into that form of speech. I thought it was fascinating um, when we had our different guests on yesterday when I asked Robert Easton what did Miriam do with the character of Teeny? And I guess he explained that she would grab her skirt like a little girl. She would play with her hair. as all in the process of doing the character Teeny. She actually became a little girl yeah. in order to do that. Yeah. I did not know that. I had not ever heard that before. Mm-hmm. And I thought he would know because he did so many shows uh-huh. with her. Uh, Gordon McMillan told me off air, um, working with Jimmy Murray was the most unusual show for her. Because they were untheatrical. It was like, it was just like the couple next door. You know, so, um, here, here she grew up in a, a theatrical background with people having, you know, different mannerisms and things. And the joints were not that way. They were just common, ordinary folks who could be great on the radio. Mm-hmm. That was her memories of the Jordans. You know, uh, I thought that was, in, that was an interesting observation. Yeah. That she made. Uh, and then, of course, Shirley, who, you know, just adored the Jordan. They, we didn't get a chance to have her tell the story, but I think we will the next time we get her on, is uh, her dad did not survive a surgery, and the Jordan found out that her, her dad passed away. And they wanted to excuse her from the broadcast, and she did not want to do that. She wanted to do the broadcast and uh, grab the plane to go back to Ohio, I guess. And I guess Don Quinn wrote sort of a uh, a, a good a, a sort of a, a salute to her dad in in a routine that they um, that they had. And after the broadcast, the Jordans gave her a big hug and and make sure she got off to the airport. I think if you have told us that uh, at least once before, and I was so touched 
when you told it the first time, yeah. and I'm touched again uh, hearing it the second time. Do you know which show that happened on? No, I, I don't. Um, you know what I think I'm going to probably do when we play the next show here? I'm going to go find, I'm gonna go find that interview, that part where she sat down and played that for us. So knowing our next, that way... That way, it might give us more of a clue because she gave a little more details than what I. And I, I think it would be a neat thing to listen to, and such a commentary on the show, the family, mm-hmm. on John Quinn, who would do something like that. Yeah. Goodness, and that was a last-minute thing. Oh yeah. It really, it must have been that same day. Yeah. That he went back and rewrote the script, mm-hmm. made changes, edited it. Anyway, I got an email from Claire Schultz today. Claire Schultz was our guest yesterday. Who was? Uh, I was so pleased how well that turned out. That came out. He, uh, I know, and I was there, so there were some spaces mm-hmm. in between questions, replies, and so on, and we were talking about that a little bit earlier. He was on a speakerphone, which is what he uses for long-term conversations. And as a result, there were a couple of places in there that it seemed like we had dead air, and I guess essentially it was, but it was because there was a spacing problem and, and um, you know, a telephone different from what we're accustomed to listening to. But my gosh, he was just wonderful with his information and how he explained things. But I've got a couple of additional bits of information here, which I think is super. We were talking about Jim Backus. I had come across a note in uh, one place in his book that talked about Jim Backus being on one of the shows. And I did not know Jim Backus had been ever on a Fibber McGee and Molly, and by golly, he was. And he sent me the dates that there were six Fibber McGee and Molly episodes in which Jim Backus appeared. And let's see, they were um, 3 and 46, 3 and 47. It was, um, in 46, it was February 26th, March 5th, March 26th, so they were pretty close together. And in 1947, the following year, it was January 7th, January 21st, and January 28th, so three in a row. And let's see, in the January 21st episode, he said, his character of Stanford Willington Franless III. <laughs> I don't remember that show. I'll have to go dig it up now. He speaks in that pompous voice of Jim Backus that he later used as Hubert Updike III on yep. the Alan Young show and as, of course, Thurston Howell III on Gilligan's Island. So that, that is really a nifty little tidbit. And there is another one. Do I have time to give you another one? You have all the time in the world, Patricia. Always tell me that. One day, one of us is going to run out of time. You know, you know, we, you, you just got to believe me. The only time we're going to ever run out of time when you and I just leave this, this veil of tears. That's talking um, to me, he said, the interview with Mickey Smith, Walden, and you, Mickey and you, oh, I'm sorry, with with Mickey Smith, Walden, you, and Mickey agreed that Fibber referred to Harlow um, related to the, the sponsor's product during Johnson's Wax as Waxy mm-hmm. and the Pet Years as Milky, mm-hmm. but nothing for the Reynolds Aluminum mm-hmm. shows, and he said, but there was, son. <laughs> I mean, he was just marvelous with his dates here. He gave us 
On February 3, 1953, McGee called Wilcox Lummy, like as in aluminum or Lummy or Lummy. I'll have to go back and listen to the show now. So um, I thank you, Mr. Schultz, for giving us all of these little goodies. And um, he added that if anyone has a question or would like to get in touch with him, just send me an email and I'll forward it to him. And uh, I'm at Florida Writer at hotmail.com. Neat little tidbit. That's wonderful. Yes, and I, I really appreciate that he did this. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here. <laughs> Maybe you can save the, the Lummy one for a prize in case I wanted to give hot buttered root beer um, as a prize or a challenge. And uh, he Hot buttered root beer. Yeah, that's what Fibber always wanted, a hot buttered root beer. Yep. And he said, it will have them exclaiming, you're a hard woman, Patricia. <laughs> That is so great. Thank you, Mr. Schultz, for doing that. It was really super to read that. I'll give you a reply tomorrow. Yeah. But no, it was great to have Shirley Mitchell on with us and Gloria and Robert and Harlan Zink and Claire Schultz and all 14 different callers yesterday. My goodness, yes, different. Not 14 calls. We had 14 different callers who jumped in and just added to the fun. It was great. I know. I know. Patricia and I <laughs> thought about this roadmap, and uh, we got to a fifth, uh, you know. We got about a quarter of it. A quarter of it, and that's fine. Yeah. That's why uh, we got Saturday night to play a sneak in a show here, a sneak in a show there, you know. That's what we do. Uh-huh. And it was particularly delightful because... Uh, we didn't play many shows because the people who joined us for interviews stayed with us longer than we could ever have hoped for. Oh, I know. I mean, Robert Easton gave us an extra bonus hour, practically. My goodness, we were, he was with us for about two hours. Two hours. Gloria gave us an hour and 45. Right. Um, Shirley Mitchell was not feeling well and still she gave stayed us with us for a while. 35 minutes. Uh-huh, and um, Mr. Schultz last night was at least two hours. Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half hours, wow. And then all the callers stuck and with all us. all the callers in between. Yeah. It was so wonderful. Yeah. So we're waiting for callers tonight. I need more dots on my map, and it would be great. And we still have some questions open. While Bill Hickok's sidekick was Jingles, what was Jingles' last name? Um and a bunch of others. <laughs> They're here somewhere. <laughs> and if not, if you don't call now, what, what, I'm going to hold Patricia over for the next segment if we want to play a show. We might sneak in three Fibber shows. So, That's you know, great. it's up to you folks what you want to do. Yeah, I can stay here. You know, Patricia. We need Challenge of the Yukon, Sergeant Preston's dog's name. Yes. Wild Bill Hickok's sidekick, what was Jingle's last name? And we need the second pet for... Sibber, McGee, and Molly. Uh, yes. 714-545-2071 is our number. 714-545-2071. I know uh, Bill Bragg, I, I wasn't always in the chat room this week, but uh, Patricia noticed that Bill last week mentioned our numbers were still really good in the second half of the show. So we know we got listeners out there. We're coming up to the second half of the show, so yeah. we've got people out there who are going to call up, so let me put dots on our map. I'm going to switch phones here, so excuse me if there's a click. <coughs> you think she should be able to make it, everybody? 
You think he can handle it, switching from the left to the right? You think he'll be able to not drop a phone? I didn't. I'm here. I know. Well, let me turn you up, bring you up. That way you have a good balance. And there you go. Okay, you can yeah. hear me? I can hear you. I just tuned you up for the audience, you know. Like, like the commercial, can you hear me now? Uh, can you hear me now? <laughs> out I, had there? A, I had a silly experience in a gas station when that commercial was popular. Mm-hmm. I don't even know which phone it was. It might have been Verizon, but the guy would walk five feet and say, can you hear me now? He's on his phone looking for dead spots on his phone. And I was sitting in a gas station waiting in line to pull up and start putting gas in my car. And here is this man in a security guard like you would see at the front gate of a gated community. And he's in an official car with a yellow light on top. And he's walking around the gas station saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And it was so difficult not to laugh at this poor man. Obviously, he was having trouble with his phone. But it just cracked me up that he was walking around saying, Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. You're not laughing, Robert. I know. I just just got a brilliant idea, so I went and grabbed it. But it's true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is your brilliant idea? I want to hear a couple minutes of Jim Jordan. Oh, great. Yeah, so let's, let's go back. To about 1973, we'll hear a couple minutes with Les Tremaine and Jim Jordan. Reminiscing, just for a few minutes. Here we go. Okay, Miss Fibber, I think that the formative years of anybody who has been in any business and are unknown are, are the more important years, and those are the years I'd like to dwell on that, Jim. Because those are the things, the things that happened then are the things that brought us to where we are now. True. And they're so important. Where were you born? I was born on a farm five miles west of Peoria, Illinois. And uh, I always used to say that I was born at 7 o'clock on the evening of uh, November the 16th, 1896, on the top of Kickapoo Hill of poor but dishonest parents. (laughs) I love the name Kickapoo. That's true. Indian. That's right. That's the home of the Kickapoos. Poor but dishonest parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Kickapoo Creek was a famous creek that leads into the Illinois River, where I played a lot when I was a kid. It was, it was a couple miles from our farm. Beautiful country. It is beautiful. And uh, on our farm, we had artifacts. There was a ridge, a particular ridge on the farm, that had been evidently an Indian encampment. And every time the field was plowed, the kids ran along behind the horses and the seal uh, plow and pick up the arrowheads. And the... Uh, were that thick? Oh, well, you'd find them mm-hmm. every, every time you do it. Mm-hmm. And we found a couple of tomahawk heads and things like that. I went to a country school till the seventh grade. I went to Norwood School, district number 65 until the seventh grade, and from the seventh grade, we moved to the city of Peoria. Mm-hmm. And we moved right practically on the Bradley campus. Mm-hmm. And I went to St. Mark's Parochial School, mm-hmm. and then I went to Spalding <coughs> Institute, oh, I'm a high religion. school for boys. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to walk to school every morning with a kid named Spike Sheen. Mm-hmm. Bishop Sheen? Right. No kidding. You, you floored me there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we played basketball together, and we've been friends ever since. 
man was born and raised about three miles from our farm. Did you know her as a boy? Well, I knew her older brother went with my older sister. My so the families were knew each other. Yes. And the, and the Driscolls, her, her maiden name was Driscoll, and they were, we were farmers and they were miners, mm -hmm. coal miners. And in yeah. the schools and all this time, there was always the big deal between the miners and the farmers. No. They're always fighting uh -huh. kids. The rivalry. Oh, yeah. The ball team and oh, all that stuff. Right. That's right. I just want to uh, interject a, a little thing here, Jim. Uh, for the people who are going to research this years and years from now, Marion, whom you mentioned a moment ago, was Molly in Fibberman. Yes, Molly. Yeah, and uh, the families knew each other. In fact, uh, I, I remember going a couple of times to her school on a on a hay rack in the evening with a whole crowd of people to to a school entertainment, and I saw her perform. She sang and danced. Oh, I can remember that. Now we were about probably 12, yeah. 14 at that time. Mm -hmm. See, your life, your early life, was real Americana, the thing that is almost gone now, if not yes. gone. The hay rides and the creek and all that. Across the street from this Catholic boys' school that I went to was Catholic girls' school. Mm -hmm. And she was then going there, and I saw her a couple times then. Mm -hmm. And later we met at choir practice, and we had, I had a trio fellows that sang, and we were all interested in voice, and we were all studying voice. This was after we were out of school. And uh, we met at choir practice and were ultimately married. Prior to the time we were married, I went in vaudeville and she taught piano. We were married on August 13, 1918, because I had three brothers in the service. And I'd come in off the road in April and buds out carrying mail. And the man on the draft board, who lived right on the corner, very fine elderly gentleman, assured me that I would not be called because that war is about over, it's September 1918. Right. So we were married on August the 31st, 1918. Went to St. Louis to my sister on our honeymoon. We were there about three days when I got the summons from Uncle Sam. Oh boy, yeah. greetings, huh? So we got back and five days after we were married, I was on my way to camp, Camp Forest, Georgia, Oglethorpe, Fort Oglethorpe, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And there's a little bit of the early life of Jim and Marion Jordan. I think That's I a great clip. I love that interview. Yeah. One night you can play the whole thing? One night we'll play the whole thing. You bet. It's kind of long, isn't it? Oh, not really. Don't have to love Fibber McGee and Molly. It's not long. If you love Fibber McGee and Molly, all night is not long. That's true. Yeah. That's so we've got one last chance before we go to another show. Mm-hmm. One last chance, folks, because we're going to get three different items in here tonight. Yep, we're going to sneak in three shows, so we're going to we're gonna have Patricia stay on to another segment. You know, because I just can't let her go. And that means you have to hurry up in between these shows and give us a call. We've got trivia questions, and they're not really all that difficult. Wild Bill Hickok's Jingle Sidekick, what was his last name? Um, Yukon, a challenge of the Yukon, what was the name of Sergeant Preston's dog? And what was Fibber McGee and Molly's second pet? And if you could tell us the name of the horse, that would be great, too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 
And what show we're we gonna play, Patricia? Oh, what show are we going to play? Could we play the Christmas tree show? All right. And let me make sure we're fired up for that one over here. And we'll play the Christmas tree, you know. This should be a sneak preview what Tom's going to get on his CD, you know. It will be a sneak preview, and um, this is special stuff. I really am okay with putting together some special goodies for people who call in with answers and good stuff when they win a CD. Yeah. I'd be happy to put together anything that I have that you like. I would be happy to assemble it. So this one goes on Tom's desk. It's Fibber Cuts His Own Christmas Tree, which is an indication of what you're going to be hearing. Um, it's a good one. Molly, the long-suffering wife, I don't know if she says her uh, Walden's favorite expression in this one, which is... Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Poor Molly. Anyway, the show is from uh, December... 16th, 1941. Did I get that date correct? Correct. And oh, just think right. of it, folks. This is nine days after Pearl Harbor. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's really interesting. Maybe we could talk a little bit uh, when we come back later about the war, about programs that didn't reference the war and ones that did reference the war around right. Christmas time. And um, this one doesn't. Nope. Nope. It's really quite surprising. We're just very shortly after Pearl Harbor, and there is no reference to it. Um, and Walden will be able to tell us why. So, from December 16, 1941, Fibber cuts his own Christmas tree. And we'll be back. Because Patricia's not running away. All right. Oh, she's not. Here we go, everybody. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by Martha Tilton and the King's Men, and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with the National Emblem March. of the Red Cross speak last night. He was asking for money. He said in part that it was customary these days to preface any request for help with an apology, but that he wasn't making any apology. Neither are we. The Red Cross needs $50 million, urgently and immediately. Now, for 130 million people, that's the price of a few cigars or a lipstick. The Red Cross is always ready to help in times of war and disaster, and from now on, the demands upon them will be great. But we are a great nation. So let's give till it hurts.
Webster of 79 Wistful Vista is not one to squander a buck and a quarter for a Christmas tree when he can drive out to the woods and chop down his own. No, sir. And here, driving up to the house, frostbitten but triumphant, we find that lumberjack who saves Jack on his lumber, Fibber of Fibber McGee and Molly. Brakes fixed. Boy, am I cold. Well, come on, Christmas tree. Come to Papa. You got a new home. McGee, you're getting snow all over the hall. Why didn't you stamp your feet? Why should I stamp my feet? I ain't mad at anybody. Besides, they're so cold, I'm just walking from memory. Oh. Here, you poor lad. Let me take your coat and your mitten. Thanks, Molly. Hey, take a gander at that tree, will you? Ain't she a whopper? Heavenly days, it certainly is. Yeah, it was the pick of the whole woods, Molly. I had to fight off 20 other guys to get it, too. They all wanted it. Oh, did you actually fight for it, dearie? Oh, it didn't come down to actual brawl, no. One guy ups to me and says, that's my tree, shorty. And I says, yeah, I says, tossing my hatchet up in the air and catching it by the handle. <laughs> program and others for the past two weeks, you've heard urgent requests to buy defense bonds and defense stamps. It's getting a little repetitious, isn't it? Well, it's going to get more repetitious. We're going to say it again and often and loud. This is not an invitation to a tea party or a bingo game. This is war, and we've got to do something about it. It's going to cost a lot of money to win it, but it would cost a lot more than mere money to lose it. Now, don't wait for somebody to come to your door selling bonds and stamps. Get down to your bank or post office and lay it on the line. This isn't the other fellow's fight. It's, it's yours and mine. So here it is again. Buy defense bonds and defense stamps. Yes, and if you live in Canada, buy war savings certificates or victory bonds. Good night. Good night, all. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. You know, if this were Tuesday night, we'd be the right night. But any night with Fibber McGee and Molly good for Patricia. You do love those chimes. <laughs> well, how you be? I be good. Um, we're still waiting for somebody to answer our questions and let me make a dot on our map. I'm so excited about my map. I got pink dots all over the place, but still a lot of blank spots. Well, I'm, I'm happy that we got so many so far, so we leak got a good start. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and it really is fun, folks. If... Um, if you're even thinking about calling in, now is the time to do it. Well then, 
2071. I bet if you call from a state that we don't have a dot, you have a really good chance of winning a CD. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. 714-545-2071. If you call from another state, you still got a good chance of winning CD, but you're going to have to answer a pot of trivia still. That either uh, way. I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We'll find a question for you. But I'm still waiting for Oregon. You're waiting for? Alaska and Montana. And Montana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you Those think... are pretty good. We must have people in Alaska listening to us. Ron in Hawaii always keeps us I busy. Oh, Isn't that fun? So I think Alaska should um, check in, too. Can you imagine how far that phone call is from Hawaii to here to you? That's about, that got to be at least, you know, 6,000 miles. From there to me. That would yeah. be about right. Yeah. A little bit more even than 6,000 because I kind of hang down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who, who kind of drizzles down. Okay, now here's, here's a good one. Mm-hmm. Let me measure this. Is Florida farther south than Texas? I think it is. I now think so. See. I don't know. I have to get a rule. I'm looking at the points, you know, that your, your little uh, peninsula point down there. Yes, it does. And we get credit for, I don't know how to do this. We get credit for the Keys, the Florida Keys, down all the way down to Key West. Well, of course we are. Key West is known as the southernmost part of the United States. It's got a marker down there, so... Now, wait a minute. Are, are you above the Key West, or you're on the other side of the peninsula? I am north of Key West. Key West is hangs out. It runs uh, a string. It's a string of little islands mm-hmm. at the south end of the state, and it begins just south of Miami, and it makes like a comma. Well, I remember looking at the, you have the two little isn't it two little tails down there. We've got actually just one tail. We only have one and tail. The tail is the string of little islands or keys that go down to Key West, uh, and the the. Well, why do I think for they look like a triangle? Not quite. Okay. Not quite. It's more like a comma. It's a a curve. Mm-hmm. The keys are on a curve, mm-hmm. and they actually go from the east side or the Atlantic side of the state and curl around into the Gulf. So when you travel down the Keys, it's about 100 miles. They call it the 100-mile bridge, even mm-hmm. though you get you know the little islands in between, but they call it the 100-mile bridge. And as you're going down south, you're driving south, well, north too, you've got the Atlantic on one side and the Gulf of Mexico on the other side of the road. You know, today I was hearing your know, Florida made the news because you had to run over the bridge, and I'm sh- I'm assuming that Key West, and the guy what who w- they had to run over the bridge in Florida. I guess oh. there's some bridge that they have a race annually. Yeah. And I guess the winner won it in 37 minutes, uh, and he's won it before, but he he has a fear of, of bridges, even though he won the races. I wonder where they they held it. I don't know. Uh, the string of islands, the bridges that go from the Little Keys to the Little Keys, mm-hmm. they consider it the entire strip, the 100-mile bridge. And you know darn well nobody's going to run 100 <laughs> miles in 37 minutes. No, so if, you were doing, if you were doing a 5-minute, that would be like a 7-mile bridge or something. 
Do you have any seven-mile blazes down there? Well, there are between the little islands. There are so they may have had it from one island to another, or even one side of Key West to the other. If that's um, Key West, uh, the the bridge empties into Key West. Key West does not have a bridge of its own because it's at the very southern tip. There's nothing beyond Key West. You just go out there and swim out there in the Atlantic and the uh, Gulf. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you if there's a, a railroad that runs parallel to the road, it's not a railroad. It's what's left of a railroad. They were building a railroad uh, across and following the pathway of the Keys. They were building a railroad down to Key West when a Category Five hurricane came through. This was very early on, and it wiped out entire chunks of the railroad that was being built and killed an enormous number of people. Wow. Which was a, it was just a tragedy, and they never picked it up again. So as you're driving down the Keys along this 100-mile bridge, what they call the 100-mile bridge, you pass sections of the railroad trestles on the Gulf side as you're traveling south. <sighs> really, really quite remarkable to wow. see. Wow. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Do we have some callers who would like to give some geographical information about your state? 714-545-2071. Are there any interesting trivia about your state? Maybe that would be a trivia question one night. We'll ask people to let us know trivia about their own state, and they can call in. State motto, the state bird, the state critter. Um, any what histo- your license plates look like? Yeah, any Florida hist- has more than fifty different license plates. No Can you kidding. imagine that? Wow. Uh, if, you're, if you're driving behind an out-of-state car, you get up close to it, and it belongs to you. <laughs> And, you know, maybe they can give us a historical nugget about their state. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Or you can tell me the name of Sergeant Preston's dog mm-hmm. in Challenge of the Yukon. You know, I, you know who was the name of the sound effect guy who did the dog? No, and you told me yes. that, too. Tell me again. His name is Brad Barker. Brad Barker? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should remember that one. Uh, is that his real name, Brad his, Parker? Yeah, it was his real name. Pretty appropriate. He's going to do dog sounds. Yes, I should remember that. Yeah. I'll I'll remember that one. I'm assuming that's the one. I will indeed remember yep. that one. Yep. So I have to come up with something to do for next week. I can read some more Burma shapes for tonight. And if anyone has come up with another product or another chunk of advertising in products that are a lot older than last year, <laughs> that, that would be great. Well, you know, some of these products are still around. Yeah. It's quite remarkable. Yeah. They have well, maybe saving we can go, power. Maybe we can go over toothpaste or, uh, or, uh, hair, or um, <coughs> hair, hair supplies or... Uh-huh. Uh, who played Bucky Beaver for us last week? It was Nolan Kenner. Nolan, Nolan Kenner called in yeah. and played the Pepsodin mm-hmm. Bucky Beaver mm-hmm. jingle. Bucky Beaver was the mascot for Pepsodin. No, 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 Ipana. I'm sorry, Ipana, Ipana toothpaste. Yeah. Bucky Beaver, this little cartoon beaver with the two great big front teeth, <laughs> and they'd make his teeth sparkle. 
Uh, with like Panna toothpaste, and and he had this little um, little jingle, and they put him. It, it was like Choo Choo Charlie with Good and Plenty. Yes. Yeah. And they uh, Choo Choo Charlie was in a train, and that's the only place they ever put him. But Bucky Beaver was in different settings. And the only one I have ever seen is with him in uh, um, like a train engine. And they called him Bucky Beaver Engineer, and then he would sing his little song. But he did, according to the information I have anyway, they had different settings for Bucky Beaver. So if anybody knows a setting for Bucky Beaver, the cartoon character that advertised Ipana toothpaste, please let me know. And if you need to contact Patricia during the week, there's one easy way. FloridaWriter at Hotmail.com and if you want to get in touch with Walden, it is Walden Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at yesterdayusa.com. How about that? Both of us are pretty easy to get in touch with. We are. Mm-hmm. We are. We're well, having a good time. We now, are. We're oh. gonna, we want calls, though. That's why we're staying up to be with you, you know. Uh-huh. You know. We had a bunch of people who, last week earned some CDs because they called in and answered questions. Oh, I made oh. the CDs, and they are in envelopes, but they have not been dropped in a mailbox. So By the anyone way. I owe a CD to, you're in an envelope. But we're still looking for two addresses. We haven't. We forgot to mention that. Well, we are. Which one are we looking well, for? We're we looking are looking for Neil. Dan, Neil. One. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I, I'm stopping to think here. I think Listen, we, Andy. Um, I think I would I Dan. I need an address from Neil, and I need one from Dan. Neil was going to send me some information about shows he would really like if I can find them, yep. and he was going to send it to my Florida writer at hotmail.com. And Dan, who won Amos and Andy, has not sent me his address, and I've got this wonderful CD with Amos and Andy on it. It's sitting right next to me, and I have no place to send it. There's so, no Dan, would you please... Let me know, and Michael from yesterday, our Winter Haven, Florida friend, was going to send me an email um, to my Florida writer at hotmail.com so I could send him some live show schedule information, right. and as of this afternoon, I hadn't heard from Michael yet, so yeah. apologies if your email is in my email box, and if it's not, please send it, and I'll make sure I get information to you. I, I think that we had a John, too, that was looking for that stuff, too. So, anybody named John or Michael, we love to hear from you. So, 714-545-2071. Let us know. Keep in touch. And we're going to stay here for a few minutes, but we got a couple clips that we want to feature. And you can call us during the clips because we're, we're not going away. We still have another Fibber McGee and Molly show to play uh, not too far, but we want you to be with us. Indeed. And I'm, I made a boo-boo. Um, John, I believe, is the person from Florida, and Michael is from Pennsylvania. Right. Okay. Right. So I need an address from Michael so I can get something to you. Um Golly, gee whiz, I didn't even write down what Michael wanted. Well, he, he just called in, and he just wanted to participate in the show, so, so he didn't ask for any prizes. Okay, well, 
I'm, so, I'm sorry, Michael. If you change your mind and send me an address, boy, I'm so glad you remember. I've got pieces of paper all over. And actually, it's not pieces of paper. I've got trivia questions on one page. Mm -hmm. And if somebody calls in, I write their name down and I write what they want. And I had a blank space for Michael. So I'm very happy. That's You've got a great memory, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you're busy looking things up. You're trying to run a show, and I'm just here sitting back. It's pretty, oh, I you're listening, easy. though, and I, I write these things down. I should have written down um, passes on the CD, but that was fun that Michael called in. Oh, yeah, I think he called in twice quickly to uh, talk to a guest and things like that, so uh -huh. we really didn't have an opportunity. But, Michael, you're up. If you want to win a prize, call in now. Michael from Philadelphia would love to hear from you. Uh huh. He was going to show you the Liberty Bell. Too. That's right. That's right. You know, I I went to Gettysburg, and I wanted to go to Philadelphia. We just planned to be in Gettysburg one day. It was so terrific. I think we wound up being there for four. You know. Uh. We have so many places. Yeah. I, we I, need to visit. You know. Yep. You're going to have to show me Upper New York, Patricia, someday. Because I've never been, I, all, the first north I've ever been in New York is Manhattan, you know. <laughs> That's not very far north, <laughs> is it? And actually, I didn't live all that far north. Mm -hmm. I was up in, uh, the, the last place I lived in New York was near West Point. Mm -hmm. And you talk about history rich. My goodness, you spend some time at West Point and, and you just sit there and say, Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. And think about the things that happened there—the uh, the chain that um, Washington and his troops put across the Hudson River to uh, block the traffic wow. from the British. I mean, it was—it was, it, from the Revolutionary War on. That entire area is just history. You know. My, I have to bring you up a mile at a time. I know. Alden. Well, you know what you need to put down on your n note scratch pad? Here's a note for Patricia. Note for Patricia. Note for Patricia's notebook is here. Yeah. So. You know, July the 3rd, we're going to be together on a Saturday night. That's the day before the 4th. Uh-huh. We, we need to decide on some of a patriotic theme. Maybe you can help me learn a little bit about the American Revolution. Okay. Some of the things that you saw, some of the things you know. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to definitely play that night is, I just adore this, if Ronald Reagan in the mid-60s did a, um American Revolutionary record album, and it's his view, he, he told as a, a foot soldier of the viewpoint of the American Revolution, and I'm, I'm going to play that for sure that night. You know, what we went You're through. On my calendar with the word patriotic. Yeah. So maybe you can come up with some, a patriotic some ideas for that for that night. I can do that. Good. I can do that. Okay. Seven you are permanently on my calendar with the word patriotic. Patriotic, there. yeah. This is good. This is good. Hey, seven one four five four five two zero seven one is our number. And yesterday, uh, Patricia and I were totally blessed to have Shirley Mitchell. As a guest on our February McGee and Molly special. And I w thought we didn't have the opportunity to have her tell all the experiences she had with February McGee and Molly. And I thought it would be fun to play one of them now. Mm -hmm. And I know Patricia recall hearing this, and I've mentioned it a few times. But let's 
let's go back and hear Shirley tell Frank Bissy and I experience with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. And then she would come back and we would do the show. I love doing that show. I, um, my father had had surgery. We knew he was going to have surgery. Had surgery and died the day I was to do a Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Mm. And at that time I was going with Paul Weston who um, called them and told them what had happened. And they called me and said, you don't have to do the show. You just go home right now. I said, no, my dad would want me to do it. I'll go home right after the show. So I did the show, and I didn't even realize the last line in that show was, good night, Pops, good hunting to you. Oh. And I thought of it since that was really something. And then uh, Jim kissed me, and Marion kissed me, and Paul drove me to the airport, and I flew home. But I'll never forget their kindness, their sweetness, their caring. They're just wonderful people. And I don't think you find that today. In no, I don't think so either. Not caring people, I think. Jim, Jim was great fun. And, you know, Marion sat, as you said, sat at a table. Yeah. And, did, and you know why that was? No, she had romantic fever uh, in uh, 1938. And she was very, very ill, and he, she did not do the show, the Fibber show in Chicago, for a couple of years. And then when she came back to do the show, they decided it would be better for her health if she didn't uh, exercise and have to stand at a microphone. I never knew that. that's why she did it sitting down. She never discussed it. Yeah. Never. Did you know that the Fibber show could not last forever? What I mean? And so many cat members was off to war, and you know, you, they had new, they wrote a new part for you, and uh, yeah. Well, I think Bill Thompson did. Bill Thompson go into the yeah, service. I think he did. He did. Uh, right. He was a big loss because he was just so wonderful. Who else, Walden? Bill uh, Gorman went off to went off to uh, I think the uh, Coast Guard. So do yeah. And, that's and, right. And they were also so handy. So they had you and that. Because you know what they uh, say, and it's, it's pretty remarkable that um, we have 
the capabilities to sit there and roll tape. And to hear Frank's voice. Yes. You want to give an update about Frank yeah. in case people weren't listening last night that's and they're with us today? That's a great point. I mean, I'm always multitasking here. Frank Bussy, now we're putting away the showy tape here. Uh, Frank Bussy is doing better. Um, in fact, he's doing so well that this week he made his own phone call, got on the phone, and asked to have his tree trimmed that's <laughs> around his house. So, if he's doing that, I think that's a remarkable uh, place to be today compared to where he was in late January. And considering the poor guy suffered two major strokes, and it's getting that much of his vocal cords back, and we know he got his all his memories and faculty put together. Uh, I think I'm really optimistic that Frank will someday be back here on the show. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a remarkable recovery, mm-hmm. um, and when I say recovery. I mean, to this point, and every day he makes more progress. Um, it just makes my heart feel good. It is nice. Super duper nice. Super duper nice. And you can be super duper nice to us by giving us a call at 714-545-2071. You know. We're almost begging. We're begging. We're begging. Give us a phone call. Yeah. So can we talk just for one minute about the fibber we heard? Sure. Because it's Christmas and I love Christmas. <laughs> sure. And that's what we are doing tonight. Um, I sneaked a Christmas show in on everybody. So um, it was a good one. Fibber winds up doing his own thing and he winds up in trouble again. And poor Molly. Oh dear. <laughs> but it, it was a great show. And if anyone loves Christmas as much as we do, please give us a call and let us know, especially if you have a Christmas tree show. Any show, not just Fibber McGee and Molly, but any show that has a Christmas tree in it. We are collecting Christmas tree shows this, this week. Christmas. And next week. Yeah. And decoration? You know, like something with a light or a tree? Uh-huh. You know, anything like that would be good. Anything good. Decorating, Christmas trees, anything that has to do. Not not necessarily every Christmas show, but it's got to have a Christmas tree or Christmas mm-hmm. lights or Christmas decorations in it. This is our long-term process to help Patricia at least get into the finals, the semifinals next year. You know, in the decorating contest, we got to <laughs> at least get her in there. You know, if, if Patricia... Oh, I mean, I would have been ha- so happy if somebody came back and tacked something on my door and said, gosh, I had a really pretty lanai this year. Nothing. I just couldn't believe what people were putting up. And I, I mean, I'm not upset that no. I, I didn't get any recognition. I am absolutely jaw-dropping at what some people were able to do with this small patio space and make them look spectacular. I mean, I know planes were in trouble coming over to, to the airport. <laughs> there were so many lights that they probably looked like runway lights. Oh, yeah. It was really wonderful what some of these people did. And I have no question that they <laughs> certainly had earned recognition and awards. They were some really neat prizes, too. Because you're on the second floor, if you're on the first floor, you have no problem looking up at the different 
uh, patios in the different places? Can you tell? Can I tell? What in other words, let's, let's say you were on the ground floor and you were walking by your different complexes. Can you see all the different uh, patios? To see? Oh, yeah. You uh -huh. can see uh, there are front apartments and back apartments. The back apartments overlook a little lake. So we've got duckies out there. And so I'm, in, I'm on the lakeside, and I have this adorable little footbridge that goes across the lake. But that means that I don't have as much of an opportunity. Well, I guess, they, you know, maybe I do have more of an opportunity because if you're facing in the other direction, you've only got side by side. You cannot look across at because these, uh, the buildings kind of circle around the lake, and they're really nice buildings. They're set off in angles, and they look almost Cape Codish of all things. But, uh, yes, I can see many of them i can't see all of them but i have a better view because i'm on the second floor that's nice they can't see me if you're walking <laughs> on the bottom which of course is where the judging takes place they walk the sidewalks and around the property and they look up so as i was telling tom last night can't put anything of value on the floor. It's all, all got to be up in eyesight region. Yeah, that's why I was so thinking he, a snow blowing. hang a Christmas tree upside down, and that, <laughs> that well, would be eye-catching. I like the snow blowing machine. You know, you have your snow blowing that blows snow upwards. Uh huh. Well, I appoint you to clean up the mess. <laughs> I'll be happy to. That is your assignment. That's my assignment. Yeah. Well, we got another clip we want to play here. Uh -huh. as, as we're waiting for calls. Um, I played an earlier little clip of what Tremaine talked to Jim about the very early day that they met with a kid. And I thought that's really ro somewhat romantic and sweet to think they were really... I mean, they knew each other when they were 12 and thir 13, practically before high school. You know, that's pretty uh, of a time and place that's not seen today, if you think about uh -huh. it. You know? And here they married, and I skipped the part where he sort of reminisced about World War One, And I'm going to feature a part where he talks about the early days of vaudeville and the times and struggles. And I thought we need to play this clip here. And... Uh, 